Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. And welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we sit down with Kim and Benny Myers of Laurel Gray Vineyards in Hamptonville, North Carolina. We learn about how they transformed a long-standing family farm into a vineyard and how they're working hard to achieve their dreams. As Kim says, dreams don't work unless you do. So Kim and Benny have put a lot of hard work into Laurel Gray and Yakut Valley Wine Company, their winery and custom crush operation. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're here today with Benny and Kim Myers at Laurel Gray Vineyards. Benny, Kim, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be a part. So uh, take a few minutes and just go ahead and introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about who you are and why you got started here. Well, I'm Benny Myers. Uh, my wife, Kim, of course, that you've met. And uh, we got started here in 1994, actually. We took over the farm at that time from a cousin of mine. And we've been watching the property a long time. Of course, we're local here, so we lived really close by. We came by the property every day. She became a widow lady and was not able to take care of the property any, any longer. So uh, we were able to take over in 94 and start preparing for a vineyard. At that time when we took it, we didn't know we were going to put in a vineyard. It was pretty overgrown. There was a lot of fields that had briars and small trees and buildings you couldn't see. The farm pond was a swamp where the deer and the birds liked to lay and play. And it had two old houses on it and this old milking parlor. So we started with the fields, of course, first, getting them ready for good crops, not knowing that we were going to do the grapes. And we put in uh, some corn, soybeans, wheat. There was tobacco on the property, and we found out pretty quickly that this was a very fertile farm. So that instilled me to do some research to go back and see over all the years who owned all of the property. I was able to trace it back to 1850. So I have records all the way back to 1850 of who owned it. I have not went past 1850 yet because that's when the county of Yadkin was formed. And so before 1850, the county of Yakin was part of Surrey County. So any records that are prior to that, I would have to go to Dobson to that courthouse to find. I've just not done that. But it was very interesting to see all the owners and what they had done with the property. So we came along at just the right time in the mid-90s to be blessed with a very fertile property that we really didn't have to do a lot of preparation for because our ancestors had done a lot of that for us. We did a planting of some grapes in 2001, and that was a test plot. One acre of Cabernet Sauvignon and one acre of Chardonnay. Our family, Joseph, came here from London in 1773, and he was a gardener for Queen Charlotte. He received a 400-acre land grant from her to come to the New World. And so our family line has been farmers for 10 generations. So we love farming, we love growing, we love seeing things that we plant and harvest, and we try to make people happy with it. So tell us about your background that before you started farming here. Well, Kim, she'll tell you about hers, but I think the two of us make a really good team because 
running a farm, a winery, and a tasting room encompasses a lot of different aspects of a business community. And I went to NC State with a degree in biology, left NC State, and continued tobacco farming for a couple of years when we met, and then um, went to R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company and worked there 33 years. And in that process, the company, I was in a management role, so the company schooled me in a lot of things, schooled me in how to do um, management on personnel. I had 150 people at one time and a big budget and run a big department, so it enabled me to learn that aspect of it and the books part of it and the production side of it, the manufacturing side of it. And then I'll let Kim explain her background, but that really prepared me with my farming background to maybe put together a pretty good business plan on the vineyard, the winery, and what we need to do here to look after everything. We don't hire outside people to do our books. We take care of our business here on site. We do the manufacturing, the bottling, the farming, the growing. So we really farm to table all the way. Wow. A long grain. And a lot of the work that happened when in, in R.J. Reynolds was really able to get you into the rigor of you know, continuing farming, build up all the process, and, right. and really get you ready for this. It showed me how to budget and set a budget. I had to create a budget every year. At that time, I had an $8 million budget. Fortunately, I don't have an $8 million. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have an $8 million what? budget. But, you know, we, we work with what we have. And by the way, go Pat. NC State grad as well. That's right. In fact, our daughter actually went to NC State too, and she has her master's degree in plant pathology. Oh wow! Which gives us our own scientist if we need help. In the exactly. So yeah. She's a little plant doctor. <laughs> Excellent. So Kim, tell us about your background. So um, when Benny and I first got married, um, we decided that my main focus would be to raise kids. So for several years, um, I stayed home and, and raised two children. Ashley Laurel and Taylor Gray, so that's where the name of, the, of our vineyard actually comes from. And um, until they were, Ashley was in school and Taylor was a preschooler, and I decided I needed just a little something else. So um, I've always been a very creative person, so I went out and found some things that I could do that um, kind of played on that creativity. So I did a lot of work in advertising. Um, I used to travel with some companies um, on sets to do styling and makeup and hair and clothing and set designs, and that was a lot of fun. Took me away from home a little bit too much, so we kind of pared back from that, and I started just doing local jobs. Um, but I worked in that for quite a while, and then um, a friend from church and I actually started a company up uh, called Two Creative, T-O-O Creative. And the two of us ran that business together for probably at least 10 years. Um, and we did everything. We were a turnkey, advertising, photography, everything. Um, and we had several clients, and we did a lot of design work. We just, I actually designed, uh, used to design jacquard woven throws um, when those were a big deal. So that was a lot of fun, trying to figure out how the machine weaves and and how to add the colors in and bring colors from the left to colors from the top and blend to make all the colors that you're looking for for your design. So that was a lot of fun. So I did that a while, and then I've, I've actually jumped around a bit. <laughs> uh, 
I left that and decided to go to work for the school system for a while. So I actually worked with high school students on career development. I uh, met a lot of county people, uh, a lot of uh, people that had positions, um, higher positions in the county, which has been nice for us when we were ready to apply for permitting and to, uh, you know, to work on the farm here. It helped me because I knew a lot of people. Um, and then I stayed, I was there for quite a while and decided I missed the advertising, so I went back into advertising and worked in that for several more years. And then the bug bit me to have the vineyard and winery, or not the winery first, but <laughs> just the vineyard. And so we went back to school. In 2001, um, we enrolled in one of the first programs that served community, and we, um, we were in that first class, and at that time, uh, started out with Charles. I can't remember his last name. Charles Bowles was the, the director while they were trying to hire instructors, um, and uh, Charles Bowles told us that you could, one person could manage a five-acre vineyard part time. <laughs> quickly, quickly, we all found out that's not the case. Um, then they hired Bob McRitchie from California to come in and to um, to teach the the program over there, and. Uh, I remember he was, they were working into developing it into a, a two-year minimum program, but a lot of us in that first class were the new owners, and so we were looking at our book, and he would say, now we're going to cover that next semester, and we'd say, no, wait a minute, we need to cover that tonight, because we're doing it in the morning, <laughs> so we need, to, we need to move this along tonight. Um, speed things up. Yeah, speed things up a bit. But um, that program has developed wonderful now. It's, it's put out a lot of great students with a lot of knowledge that's been really helpful here in the industry. And a lot of owners went through the program, too. Right. So we did that, and um, so I left my full-time job. Um, we started the vineyard in 2001, planning more in 2002. Uh, 2003, we found out that in North Carolina, this is a dry, used to be a dry county. Right. And that in a dry county, you had to have at least five acres of vineyard to be able to have a on-site tasting room and sample the product you grew on the farm. Hmm. So we decided then that we would take this fallen down, should have been torn down, dilapidated <laughs> junk milk and parlor and start restoring it to make as our tasting room because it was positioned where I wanted it to be to look at the vines. So we started working on that, and we were able to, um, in two, the spring of 2003, I left my full-time job to come here full-time to get the tasting room ready to open and to take care of the vines and everything then. So we actually opened for business um, October 15, 2003 is when we opened the tasting room. And we've been full-scale ever since. I can imagine. And that's actually, you know, you mentioned a, a thing that was really cool. The building that we're sitting in right now is in a really great position to see all of the vines. Like, we're sitting here at the table just looking out at the flowers and the vines, and it's a great scene that's just, like, front to back. So, great location for it. Well, when we, when we first started, uh, I was pretty naive, like everybody is, <laughs> when they first start in this business. Um, we had the tasting room, and it was very small. And I thought, oh, we're going to produce a little bit of wine here. We're going to, you know, we'll have a few people drop in. We'll taste a little wine. I can set up my easel and I'll paint 
while I'm here and I'll be able to paint. And then people will tell me, we'll have a glass of wine, we'll talk about the painting, you know, and, and that was kind of what I had planned for my new career. Well, it doesn't quite work out that way. So now we've, uh, the business has expanded, the customer base has expanded, we've expanded the tasting room several times over the years. We did a major renovation um, summer before last and finished it up uh, at the end of the summer. So now we, um, we have quite a bit of space here now for people and several areas to taste wine and have events. And I haven't painted a picture in a while. <laughs> so maybe I'll get a chance. Well, that probably means business is good then. So if you get that chance, it probably means that things yeah. aren't going as well as you would like it to be. So. Business has been good. And what I can say is we've been very fortunate to have a very, very loyal base of people who love coming here, who continue to tell us that we're their favorite winery in the state, and they promote us word of mouth. So we're very lucky right. to have that base, and we feel blessed that they do love coming here because we love it here. So we're glad that they right. love it like we love it. And that's, that is the best uh, way to get people in is word of mouth and someone telling a friend, hey, this is a really good place, and people trust that more necessarily, I think, than other times. So. so you mentioned the initial planting was Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay. What other varieties are in the vineyard? Well, we decided on those two varieties originally because the research that we had done and the travels that we took, uh, we knew we wanted to do French grapes. They command the best price in the bottle. And if you don't have Cabernet Sauvignon and you don't grow Chardonnay, then how do you say you grow French grapes? Because they, at that time, were number one and number two wines of the world. So that's how we selected the first two. Then to start adding to that um, background, we put in Merlot, Cabernet Franc, um, Pinot Gris, Viognier, Petit Verdot was our last, last planting. And so those are the varieties that we have on our property. We can make a lot of different wines out of so few varieties because you have blendings that you can do to create fanciful named wines like Scarlet Mountain, which is a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, and Merlot is our most popular red wine. And we can take red wines and make rosés, of course. We do have rosés here from time to time. So you can take four or five grapes and make a lot of different products. And I think we're tasting about, we could be tasting 13 or 14 wines right now, which typically takes a little bit long, so we've set up a flight scenario where the customer actually comes in and picks the things that they want to taste. We've also this summer decided to uh, do categories of tasting, mm. so people can now choose just the category they're interested in, or they can choose multiple categories, it's up to them. So instead of tasting everything on the tasting sheet now, all 14 wines, they can select to just choose the dry reds or the dry whites. Sure. Or the fun and creative wines. Whatever suits their palate, um, we, we let them choose to do that now. Only disadvantage to that, I think, is a lot of times a customer will come in and they have a style of wine they think they like. But when they leave, that style is not what they leave with. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you may, with that, scenario, miss something, miss introducing something to somebody that's now going to be their new right. favorite, and that's they true. didn't get an opportunity to do that, which that's the only drawback to that. 
we've seen that many, many times where a customer will come in and tell us what they want, but at the end of the tasting, that's not what they buy. Yeah. So we ask them at the end, well, this is what you told us you like, but you leave with a different <laughs> product. What happened? Yeah. And they they basically say, well, I've never experienced a wine like that before, and I, I really like it. It's fantastic, and I think I'll take it back home and try some of my food with it. So hope we don't lose any of that aspect. But I don't think we will, but that's something we've got to stay on guard about. And if we do, if we see that that's not working, we'll, we'll go to a sure. different Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, we always tell folks, try something that you think you might not like. Because right. you never know if you, unless you try it, and that's how you expand your palate and and become more adventurous and you know appreciate different styles of wine. Mm-hmm. So if you if you think, oh, I don't like sweet wine at all, well, well, maybe there is a sweet wine that you you will like. And right. If, same for those folks that only like sweet wines. There may be a dry wine that that is fruity and refreshing, and it's a has a perceived sweetness, and you might enjoy that. So well, that's keep really it up in mind. Of a tasting room. Sure. If you go to the supermarket, they're right. not going to let you open up 10 <laughs> bottles of wine. <laughs> so you come to the tasting room, you should be tasting some things that you might exactly. not like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and if time permits, we, all, we will always say to folks, you know, if there's anything else on, on the list that looks in, exciting to you or enticing, you know, you're welcome to have another taste or two if there's something here that, that you just want to try that you would have never tried otherwise. So besides the wine, you also make sauces and that sort of thing. So let's talk about that a little bit. The sauces, um, those are quite interesting and quite lucrative, actually. Um, The sauces came about because we found out in the beginning that a lot of people are intimidated by French wine. They are afraid to purchase them. They're afraid to drink them because they're afraid they're going to do something wrong. Hmm. So we've tried to make it very comfortable for people here at Laurel Gray to come and to taste our wines, and we try to help them learn how to pair the wine and that it's only a beverage. It's just like a Coca-Cola. Don't worry about it. It tastes better with some food than it does with others, just like a Coke does. So we take that into consideration. So we started very early on bringing out little pairings for people to sample when they were doing their wine tasting to just show them, look, this tastes really nice together, doesn't it? So we started that, and um, we found, we used to have a vinaigrette that was made by someone else, and that company actually went out of business. And so when they were going out of business, we decided we needed to develop our own. So around, I don't know what year that was, it's been a long time ago, we started working on our own recipe and um, over the summer, and Ashley, our daughter, and I worked on that, and we did a, found a recipe that we thought was pretty good. So we went ahead and worked with a co-packer to get it bottled, and now we, we do sell that exclusively here. It's our artisan vinaigrette, and it's a balsamic, 15-year-old balsamic and olive oil with a lot of other stuff in it, <laughs> herbs and a all kinds recipe. of a secret recipes, but people do absolutely love it. So that is a, a lot of people come for just the sauce. And then we have our own barbecue sauce. We have a barbecue sauce called Crazy About Butts. And no, we are referring to pork butts. <laughs> um, but the, tag, the tagline underneath it does say legs and breasts are good too. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of a, a little joke. And, you know, it's North Carolina. If you don't have a barbecue sauce, you're not a native. And we are both natives. Right. So we felt like we needed a barbecue sauce here. 
So those are our two sauces that are exclusively ours, and they're our recipes. Um, we also have a chocolate Cabernet wine sauce that was served with a couple of our wines, which is excellent, but we work with a California chocolatier on that product, but it does have our Cabernet Sauvignon in the wine. And she also makes us a caramel Chardonnay sauce, um, which is also excellent, and it has the Chardonnay. So we do bring those out and serve those with some of our sweeter wine uh, that pairs really well to show people how to actually serve a dessert wine and flavors that work great with it. What I do like about that is that you get to taste the nuances of pairing the wine and the sauce together because that'll give you an idea of, oh, maybe I can take this home and you know throw some throw some meat on the grill and put the bar the crazy about butts on it and serve it with the Scarlet Mountain. I mean, it's it just kind of starts the brain thinking about other stuff. It does, and I've I've noticed over the years I see a lot of people making notes in the margin of their tasting sheet. Oh, make this with such and such a recipe. Or this would go great with Bob's ribs. Or you know. Those kind of things get written all in the margins as people are going through the tasting. That's the best part about wine for me is, is the pairing it with some food and the, the pairing just being magical and working. That's To me, that's the, my favorite thing. I think that's what gets people hooked. Right. And Crazy About Butts is great on shrimp, too, for those that don't eat pork. So it is fantastic on shrimp. It also makes great baked beans. Really? I'm sure. Oh. Yes. It does. Yes. So now you talked a little bit about the French varietals and the French-style wines. So what's your approach to winemaking, and what are you trying to go for with the profile? Well, the approach is hard to describe because the basic to our farm and to our place is farming. And so with farming the grapes, you have to take what the weather and each year gives you. So your approach this year might be different than it was last year. <laughs> So what we try to do is manage the vineyards first and foremost, starting in February. We try to take really good care of those. And I actually look after most of the vineyard myself with a, one or two people that helps me in the vines. And then what we try to do is deliver to the winery the best possible grapes, where the wine style does not have to be altered that much. So if we take really a premium grape to the winery, then it's very easy to turn that grape into a really good wine. The winemaker talents are utilized in the years that the weather's not favorable, and they have to do some things to help us come out with a great commercial product because the grapes were maybe not as good that year. So that's when we ask a lot more of them into the difficult years of grape growing. Our style approach We've had a lot of winemakers since we've been in business. We've had three California winemakers. We've had um, some Virginia folks help us. And, and North Carolina, in this industry so new, you couldn't go around the corner and pick up a winemaker. Right. There's not winemakers to pick up. <laughs> so you have to go outside to, buy, to get these people to come. And by doing that, when they get here, they're not always familiar with the North Carolina weather and the North Carolina grapes. So stylistic, they may, even the winemaker itself might walk into our company, our winery, and say, okay, I'm here, and they come with a preset idea of the wine style that they're going to make, but that's not necessarily what happens. So Kim and I are very hands-on with them, and we try to explain to the new winemakers that we hire what's happened here before, what older winemakers have taught us, and we kind of create 
the Laurel Gray style, I would call it. And basically that's taking what Mother Nature gives us and trying to turn it into the best possible French wine that commercially that we can make. It's not how much we can make, that's not what we're about, it's how good we can make it. So each year we have to do things different to produce that high quality product. We're very, very picky about what goes in the bottle and we always tell our people, you can't change it after it's in the bottle. Right. So we wanna make very clear directions and, and know exactly what this wine's gonna taste like after it goes into a bottle. So we made, do some really different things between the three of us. We get pretty creative sometimes. Uh, we've had winemakers that pull wine and say it's time to bottle this wine and we go to the lab and taste the wine with them. And we explain to them, no, we're not bottling that wine. It's not what we're looking for. And they may ask us, well, what do you want us to do with it? And we leave there that day thinking, well, we don't know what you're going to do with it. But we do go home and we talk about it and we research it and we always come back together with an idea of how we can make that product better. And that's really worked well for us not to get into a situation of where we feel pressured to put a wine in the bottle. We, we don't ever want to do that. So we want to make sure the wine is perfect for our customers before we put it in the bottle. I don't know if that answers the question about style. Because <laughs> style is a big word, and it, can, it is. and it can be answered in a lot of ways, but boiling it down simply, it's got to be good. <laughs> That's our style. It's got to be good. <laughs> yeah, and I think you hit on something there, too, because it starts in the vineyard. You can't Absolutely. make a great wine with less than great grapes. So no. taking care of the grape, taking care of the vine, focusing on that first to get that premium product is definitely a way to go. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we don't purchase grapes from anyone. We have used what our 10 acres will give us, and if we sell out, that's fine. Sometimes our customer comes here unexpectedly and we're out of the product and they're not always happy, but we're happy with the quality. So we can't control the quality as well as if we are purchasing grapes from other farmers. So our big concern is quality. We wanna know what the grape has been through. We want to know every aspect of the grape and we want to know when it goes into the bottle. We can certify that we know everything that's touched this wine before it goes into the bottle and that's that's how we want it. That gives you a product that you know you can be proud of. Very so, unique to us. I understand. What's your average case production? Understanding that it's, it's quality over quantity but that's a question that a lot of folks are interested in. We'll average 1,500 cases a okay. year. We can move that needle over a three-year period sure. if we want to. Um, we can make rosés every other year if we want to. If that need rises, we do some back blending and we do some future blending from time to time. We may use a 2016 vintage in a 2018. Sure. Just to give it a little bit of a pump or right. something different. So we can maneuver that number, but if you ask me for a good five-year average, about 1,500 cases. Okay. And all of that's sold here on our property, so we're not in stores, we're not in restaurants, and so that's what our customers require. If, it, if we grow to a level that we need 2,000 cases, we can get there. We have plenty of farmland left to go. There's an 85-acre property here. 
and there's only a 10-acre vineyard. So you had mentioned a, a couple moments ago about uh, the company. So the Yadkin Valley Wine Company is where you were referring to, is that? Yes. So tell us a little bit about what that is and why that got started. Well, Yadkin Valley Wine Company um, is a, it is our winery, uh, but it's kind of a spinoff from Laurel Gray. Um, our tasting actually takes place in that milking parlor, which is on one side of the pond. We have a pond right in the center here, and then on the other side of the pond is the winery building, which we built in 2007. And that came about because we needed um, we needed to produce our own wines here on the property, and we needed a really good winemaker. And we felt like the best way to have what we wanted for us Although Laurel Gray made the decision to be boutique and small and handcraft and only make wine from this vineyard, which didn't warrant a big winery um, and the staff that we currently have. So we said, how can we have that type of equipment, that quality of a winemaker for a small boutique winery that we are at Laurel Gray? So we spun off the idea of Yadkin Valley Wine Company and it is a big building. Um, it's about 15,000 square feet. 15,000 square feet. Um, and we do have a staff of four there who are there every day. And um, that is where we do custom crush. So we make wine in the facility for um, several other vineyards in the state, along with making Laurel Gray's wine there. So that uh, business decision enabled us to. Um, have the facility we were looking for, top-of-the-line equipment, state-of-the-art, and to have some really good quality winemaking staff. I'll let Benny tell you about that building because he actually manages the winery and he takes care of almost all things Yakin Valley, so he can answer all your questions. Well, in general, we only make 1,500 cases for Law Gray, but last year we bottled 12,000 cases. So that's a pretty sizable facility for the Yadkin Valley. Most people don't know what we're doing over there and had no idea that <laughs> we're 14, 15,000 case place. We tell people we're 1,500 and we are, <laughs> but we do enjoy making some really high-end wines for other customers in the state and they have been very satisfied with what we've been doing for them. One of our assistant winemakers one time pointed out at the state awards two years ago that our company had produced 38 medals. We, we entered six wines and we thought, no way. We, and then most of those were gold. So we do win a lot of awards for other people and um, that's been fun too. It is a very challenging place to work because you're not the winemaking team does report to us as the managers and owners, but we ensure that our customers can come in and sit down with them and develop a different style if they want to. They get, sure. to, they get to come in and pick their style. It's right. not long race style. Mm -hmm. And a big difference between um, the different styles that come out of the building, they're growing their own grapes. So their grapes and long race grapes never touch. No other customer's grapes touch anybody else. And we manage that by what we call it a lot system. So for every grape as it comes into the building, if Laurel Gray's Pinot Gris is the first grape in the building, then that would be lot number one. If Laurel Gray's 
Cabernet Sauvignon is the last grape in the building, that might be lot 65. So there's years that we make 65 different wines wow. in that building. And so there's the complexity. There's about 65 tanks. We have to manage the tank space. There's 26 tanks, but not 65. So there's a lot of juggling logistics to do to be able to do that for people. We've been real successful at it, and people seem to be very happy with us. We, we're excited to be able to offer them that opportunity. And it is like Kim said, when we did that in 2007, none of our neighbors, none of our winery friends, none of the owners wanted to do that work. They didn't want to be a custom crush facility. So we thought it just made very logical sense for us that we can have a better facility we can have a premium staff. We can have the best equipment if more of us are sharing in sure. that spend. Yeah. And now, a few years later, we found that all of the owners and all of our neighbors want to be in that kind of business. So we must have, we must have picked a pretty good model to be in because a lot more people now want to make wine for other people. Mm. That's a, it's a good approach, too, because not only does it improve the quality of your wines, but also it improves the quality of the wines of the customers that you make it for in general. So exactly. it just elevates the profile yeah, of the exactly. wine. It in the does, store. and it's a really great way for um, a new grower, a new vineyard, sure. to get into the business, have their vineyard, have a small winery at their farm, but to get really quality wine produced for mm -hmm. them um, so that they can start working on their revenues. So that's what everybody's worried about because it is an expensive business to get into when you have a lot of money tied up for a long time. Yeah, right. So it's very helpful to them too. And it's a little old world style too. Like you think about France, they have the negociants who make the wine. You have the, the vineyard owners, the growers who take care of the grapes and can focus on that product. So it's kind of a throwback, isn't it? It, it is. is. It is. And it's worked well for us. And I think the customers are happy. And, and you did hit on something too. I think it actually... It helps raise the um, quality of the wines across the state. Sure. Because you don't have people trying to make all their own wine in small facilities that may not have as much training as they would like to have. Um, and they are able to contract with us and get the really quality uh, trained professionals to make their wine for them. So it works out for everybody. Yeah, we have a full service lab in the facility, so we can run any tests that Appalachian Nursery Community College can run, and they have a great quality program over at Surrey that they're trying to elevate the wines of the valley. And we take our customers to that same extreme, and we want them to produce the best possible wine. The tourists coming into the Yakin Valley, if they stop at a place and have a bad experience, they may not stop at Laurel Gray. So we want all of our neighbors to have as good a premium wine as possible. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily competition. It's helping each other out. It's a cohesive uh, unit of folks. So, yeah, it's that whole area needs to be successful. So let's talk a little bit about some of the awards um, you guys have won. Okay, so we started in 2001 with our first breaks here, and people ask a question. Another question comes up all the time here. So when was your first vintage? Yes, and I'm very, very reluctant to answer that question to folks because what happened here is not the standard. Generally, I tell people you need to have grapes in the ground at least five years before you think about bottling. 
So it would be a few years down the road before you would have your first vintage, and then maybe even a few more before you want to think about entering a competition. That's not what we did. Um, we planted in 2001. Our first vintage was a small vintage, um, but it was really good grapes that came out of it. So we bottled it, and we entered competitions with it, and we actually had a 2002 Cabernet that won a gold medal. Oh, wow. So that's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, That's crazy. Don't even repeat that. (laughs) Um, So that's not the norm. Um, But we have won many, 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 many uh, medals over the years and awards, and we're very selective about where we enter. Wine competitions are expensive. They are. Yes. That you know, it can really add up. So we're we're selective um, about where we um, decide to enter. We do like to do uh, local competitions because I think that's important for the local mm-hmm. um, people to know that we value sure. the, the, the local competition. Um, and then we'll do regional, some regional competitions too. And then we always do uh, a couple of international competitions <laughs> each year. And we have been very fortunate to win a lot of medals, a lot of golds, a lot of silvers, a lot of bronze. Um, we have won um, just last year our Cabernet. Well, when I say last year, it was we were selling it last year, but it was actually the 14 vintage. Oh. So we do keep our wines a while in, in barrels before we bottle. Then we keep them in bottles before we sell. So there's a lag time right, between right. harvest. And the, the date on the bottle is always the year that we picked the grape. Sure. Not the year that we bottled it. Right. Um, and that's another question that comes up in the face <laughs> So the 2014 is the one we just sold out of. And it was um, <clears throat> a, a really big winner. It won um, Best of Show in the Mid-Atlantic competition. It won um, a gold medal in the state competition. It won a... a place in the fine wines case so it was a very big winner um we have another excellent chardonnay that we have just started pouring and we have um chardonnay that is the 2017 vintage of our barrel from in chardonnay that we have just released and we were shocked and thrilled to find out that it just won um a platinum medal in the Great American International Wine Competition, there was 1,400 entries from wow. around the world. That's awesome. And That's the judges, fantastic. it was fantastic. And the judges were, there were national judges and there were international judges. And it is a totally, of course, blind competition. Course, yeah. No one knows in any of these competitions where the wine comes from. And there was, of that 1,400 entries, there were 18 platinums. Wow. And we were able to to get one of those platinums for the barrel from the Chardonnay. So. That's awesome for you, but also awesome for the state. It's awesome for battle. everybody. Because so, yes. it just raises the level of uh, appreciation and what people feel about the, the wines coming from the state. And for those of us growing vinifera grapes here, it is a challenge to, sure. to overcome that long-standing perception of only sweet wines come from North Carolina. Right. So we're all still fighting that battle daily to let people know that that is what half the state does, and that's wonderful, Right. but that's not what the whole state does. Exactly. So uh, I think winning in, in international competitions like that really helps bring more awareness. So with all the, all the award winners and all the medals, what would you say has been your favorite wine that you've produced over the years? 
That's a good, hard question. <laughs> it's hard to pick one favorite. It's kind of like, him, which is your favorite child? Oh, yeah, you know? that's what everyone Which says. is your favorite grandchild? <laughs> you don't really want to say. But I guess for me, uh, I really enjoy our Chardonnay. It's not, the vintages that we've had in the past have not always been my favorite. There's years that I wish they had turned out a little bit differently. But in general, the barrel fermented Chardonnay's been consistently my favorite. I like the heavy reds too from time to time, like the Cabernet that Kim just described. We went on a mission one time out in Napa to find the best Chardonnay that we could locate. And that was fun, that was exciting. We found some really great Chardonnays. I think uh, Chateau Montalena was one um, that we brought back home. And we actually talked to the winemaking team there to find out how they made that wine since we liked it so well. And we've incorporated some of those findings back in our winery on how they manage their Chardonnay program at Chateau Montalena. Their Chardonnay actually cost, at that time, $65 a bottle, and ours is selling for 28 Steel. I, like, I like ours equally <laughs> as well, so that's a great buy. Uh, I've got those land prices, though, in Napa to help them. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's there. true. Chateau <laughs> Montalena, I think, is the one, too, that went to France that mm-hmm. year. The Judgment yeah. of Paris, yeah. Paris. And won in a blind tasting, so yep. that's great that they were able to do that. Kim, how about for you? My my answer to your question, Matt, will be, uh, it's a two-edged sword. Let's say that. <laughs> um, my favorite wine produced here is is our Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. And uh, that is a, a grape that is not an easy child to deal with. Um, I tell people when I give vineyard tours here that those were my teenage boys when we planted them <laughs> because they were wild and out of control and didn't listen to anything we told them to do. They did whatever the heck they wanted to for, for quite a few years. But as they get older, they're growing into, they grew into very nice young men and now they're hitting their middle-aged stride, and they're just mellowed out as they can be. But um, they do produce a really nice wine here. Um, It's got some really nice um, complexity, some nice depth, um, some very characteristic of of this farm, I feel like. And I have always been a firm believer, and I know a lot of people don't agree with me on this, but I'm a firm believer that if you want to play on the international field, you have to grow the grapes and produce the wine that people know around the world. Um, so that is one reason that we grow the grapes that we grow here. Um, and that is why we enter um, our Cabernets in international competitions and why we enter our Chardonnay in international. Because we want to play, although we only sell our wine here, but we want to be a player in the big field. And I think you can't do that unless you're growing the grapes and making the wine that is world known and is um, considered the best of the best in the world. So what would you say that uh, you opened in 2003, so what would you say you've learned over the years that you want to impart on the the listeners? I saw a sign recently and I bought it and it said our house and it says, dreams don't work unless you do. Hmm. So I thought that was excellent because we, we have worked very, very, very hard here. We tell people we work eight days a week till dark 30 every day. <laughs> so it has been a, a long um, process. We've loved it. But we don't mind working. And I think um, that comes in 
a lot comes into it because we, um, Benny knew how to farm. He was a farmer, and he knew how much work went into the farming end of it. Um, his background um, from his job um, gave him a lot of tools to use in management. It gave him a lot of tools to use in logistics. Um, I think my creative background has helped so much because I do all of our label designs. You know, they, they have my paintings. Um, I enjoy doing all the flowers and the gardens and working on all of our events. So I think together, everything we have done in our previous lifetime sure. came together and worked really well to make us a team here that we can we can do most everything. Um, it's been great meeting so many different people. Um, our eyes were opened that we did not know that people from all over the world would walk in here. We've had people from Singapore and South Africa and um, Germany and China. and I mean, truly, the world comes through Yadkin County. <laughs> I did not know that beforehand, but they do. Um, and it's been wonderful to meet those people, and a lot of them have to have interpreters with them when they're here. Um, but they've all enjoyed our wine and um, had a great time. So that's been really fun. For me, it's been really nice um, taking the farm in the condition it was in when we, when we first started and um, doing a lot, just, just developing it into what we have now. Um, I, I said I was big on the gardens here, and we do have many, many, many flowers here. And most of these flowers are actually flowers that I went to my grandmother's house or my mom's house and uh, or someone special and just dug yeah. up a little clump of flowers sure. and brought them and transplanted them, and then we just developed from there. So we have a lot of things that mean a lot of, a lot to me here. So that's been that's been really wonderful. And to name it for our children, you know, right. to have that pride, and to hopefully one day we'll see. Hope we, you know, we're not pushing it on anybody because this was our dream. Right. This was not right. their dream. They have their own careers, but we, you know, who knows down the road will happen. So right now we're still here working hard, and we'll see. One thing that uh, I try not to forget, and as far as the business community goes, we've been very successful, we've had many blessings, we've made some mistakes, but from those mistakes we've learned how to be better the next time. So that's helped us all a lot. But we're one of the older people in the business, and what I found out most is we can't sit on what success we've had before. We have to keep creating better, with our grounds, better with our vineyards, better with our wines, better with our winemaking team. There's a lot of competition. And I don't see any store that you go in that you can't probably buy any bottle of wine you want to anywhere in the world except for Laurel Gray. <laughs> so we have to have Laurel Gray's products to a point to where people want to come here to pick them up. So that's one thing that we can't forget as far as the many years we've been doing business. We can't sit back on what we did last year. That's not going to happen. We have to be thinking, how are we going to make it better than last year? What are we going to do next year? So those are some of the business things that I don't want to forget when we're kind of managing our own place. We're getting older, so it would be easy to think and reflect back on what we've been. That's not what we want to do. So we want to keep being new and fun for people and let them come here and experience something that they've never experienced somewhere else. And along that same line, 
the last two years, we've had major uh, building projects going on here, and we've done some major renovation. Right. You know, we expanded the space here at Laurel Gray and probably doubled the space that we had for, for enjoyment. Then this, in 2018, then he expanded the winery. Uh, he added another 3,000, I believe, 3, square feet onto the winery. Um, so we are still uh, putting money into it, and we're still growing, and we're still uh, we're still excited about you know the future and trying to be creative and come up with new things. So on that note, what do you think is next for the for Laurel Gray, or what are you looking forward to in the future? Well, recently we've had a change in um, winemaking team. One of our senior winemakers wants to get more into the consulting role. Hmm. So we have a new winemaker coming back to North Carolina that was here several years before that's left and went out west. And we've recently hired Murphy Moore. Murphy's going to be coming on site June 17th. Murphy, if you'll remember, was at Shelton Vineyards for seven, maybe eight years. So she knows the grapes of North Carolina. When she left North Carolina to go back out west, she's helped other facilities out there that are doing what we're doing, custom crush facilities. So she's got that experience there on the west coast, and we're excited about what she's going to bring to the Yakin Valley Wine Company in Laurel Gray. Uh, we can't wait. Okay. We think that's going to be fantastic for all of our clients and for the new clients to come. We do have some new clients that are looking at us and talking to us about maybe what their future plans will be. Uh, but we're really, truly excited about her talent. She's very talented. So looking back, what's left the biggest impact on you? I can take that one pretty quickly and then let Kim see. I had a customer one time ask me, and I thought it was the best question that I'd ever been asked in a, in a tasting they wanted to ask two questions and I said okay go ahead and ask the two questions and then we had a room of maybe 30 people at that time and their first question was well, what was the worst surprise when you started vineyard farming that you didn't expect what was the very worst thing that happened and surprised you and kind of shocked you and their second question was what was the best surprise so it didn't take me very long to come up with those two answers, and I think they still hold true for me. The worst surprise in starting a vineyard is the amount of physical work. It's, it's, it, I've been a tobacco farmer. There's nothing harder than growing grapes. There's a lot of hands-on labor. You've got to manage the canopy in North Carolina. You've got to get the sun in on the vine. You've got to get the wind in on the vine. You've got to deal with all the weather. It's very labor intensive, and you gotta like uh, growing and working outside. It's very difficult. You get there's tired. You get very tired, and you get people that think they want to do it, and they'll stay with you two hours, and then they leave. I mean, it's very challenging. So it's a lot of labor. The best surprise that shocked me when we got into this business. You go about your day-to-day -day routine, and you know the people you work with. But when you run a tasting room in a winery, it goes back to what Kim said, you meet people all over the world. And when they come in and share their experience, a little bit of their experience with you, and you share a little bit of your experience with them, then you learn from all these people. So that's been the 
biggest surprise of what our customers has actually taught us mm -hmm. and the friends that we've made all over the United States. And we have friends worldwide now that we would have never had before if we hadn't started doing this business. So that's the worst surprise and the best surprise. <laughs> Excellent. And Ken, how about for you? Um, just listening to what Benny was saying, I was thinking too, um, the people that we have met here, I think have been such a blessing in our life because many of them, we would never have met these people. Right, I mean, how would we have met them otherwise? Right. You know, but they came in here. We we struck up a friendship with some of them. Now they're lifelong friends. We see them other places. But and back to what I, I stated earlier about a loyal customer base too. They've become um, some of them are like grandparents to my ch my grandchildren, and they make baby quilts for our child grandchildren when they're born, and they bring them toys, and they. They give us gifts and they bring us food, and so it's, it has truly become a Laurel Gray family of people that we would never have known. So that's been a huge, huge impact and a big blessing. That's great. So we're kind of winding down on the questions. So, uh, what's one thing that you want your customers to know when they come here to Laurel Gray? I want them to know and understand how hard we position ourselves and what we try to do to make them happy. And it's hard to get that across in a 30-minute tasting. But hopefully if they'll return and as they taste our wines and they see the quality of our product and they know that we're only here, we're exclusive for them if they come. We are hands-on. We are the farmer. We don't go out and hire people to come in and do the farming for us. We are in the winery, sitting with the winemaker, creating the blends for them, and so we know what is in their bottle of wine. We know they're going to be happy with it if they take it home. And that's what I'd like for them to know when they leave, that they can be assured that they just went to a farmer's market. They didn't go to the supermarket. They went to the farmer's market, they picked up a bottle of wine, they met the farmer, they met the manufacturer, they met the sales lady, they met the marketing person, they met the engineering of the sanitation when somebody needs to clean up the bathroom. They met all those people. They met all of them. They met all those people, and when they take that $20 bottle of wine home with them, they know everybody that made that wine for them. That's kind of cool. That is, that is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, to just expand on what Benny said for just a minute. Um, I think people, what I would like people to know about Benny and Kim Myers and Laurel Gray Vineyards. We've been doing this 18 years now, and we, when you come to Laurel Gray, you see us. We are here. Right. We are here almost all the time. Yes, you are. And the reason we are here is not because we have to be here. We can afford to pay other people, but we're here because we want to be here. We want people to know that we are fully vested in what we're doing here and that we are proud of what we're doing and that we want to meet them. So, and we want to develop those relationships with our customers. So that's why we're here. Um, speaking about what Benny just said, one day I answered the phone here and the person on the phone said, I would like to speak with your, your director of marketing. I said, okay, that's me. And they said, oh, my goodness, I'm so lucky that I got you on the phone. I said, not really. If you ask for who cleans the toilets, that's me, too. <laughs> <laughs> many hats. Many, many hats we wear here. 
Excellent. Well, thank you both for taking some time sure. to talk with us today. We appreciate uh, the conversation, and we always appreciate the good wine, particularly the Chardonnay. Thank so. you very much. We appreciate what I'm at. We really appreciate what you guys, the wine guys, are doing for the North Carolina's wine industry. Yes, you have helped elevate the perception of the industry and really helped get out a lot of information. So um, you guys are just as fundamental to what's going on here as anybody else. Thank so you. We really appreciate exactly. it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Kim and Benny for the conversation. And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. This helps others find our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers!